0: This is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney Insights Podcast. Of all the Tomorrowlands in all the Magic Kingdom-style parks, there is no version more unique than the one in Disneyland Paris, whose title is not Tomorrowland, but Discoveryland, intended to celebrate the scientists and futurists of Europe The look and feel of this land really stands out above the rest. If Steampunk had a theme park, much of this land would serve as home to it. We'll visit the attractions, shops, and restaurants of this section of the park as we continue our celebration and examination of the many lands of Disneyland Paris. We'll look at how some of this original design dates way back to early attractions Tony Baxter once conceived for Disneyland. And we'll explore some rumors of new attractions that just might be coming to this land. Join us in Discoveryland as we go to the past to explore the future. By the way, this podcast is uh, sponsored by Performance Journeys and it is intended to bring to light new ideas, concepts, and ways to improve your organization and your team at work. So check out our site, uh, performancejourneys.com, and be sure to check out disneyinsights.com, especially for today's podcast, because we've got a lot of very unique photos a lot of things that are kind of you're not going to understand if you don't see the visual of it so we're going to describe it as best we can on this podcast but when you get a chance go back to DisneyInsights.com while you're there make sure you subscribe so you're notified of podcasts when they come out and um, and uh, well without further ado um, we have gone through a uh, journey um through the first half of main street the one side of the left side as you go in of main street we have gone through frontierland and adventureland and fantasyland we come back to discoveryland we still have a couple more podcasts to go because there's so much to cover and at some point we got to cover of the Walt Disney Paris Studios as well um but we might anyway we got to we got to stay focused on on this park first. Now the thinking when this park was designed was there was an expectation either made or an expectation given uh, to Disney that you were going to bring in some aspects of Europe into the experience of going to a Disney park. And we went through that a little bit with Fantasyland as we talked about different attractions and how they were named um based on in german for snow white or sleeping beauty castle for the french and that type of thing italian um for the pizzeria and so this takes it to a much um more meaningful version because what they did is rather than and again this has always been an issue with with um Tomorrowland is trying to figure out what the future is going to look like, and to make sure it doesn't get dated within ten to fifteen years after you've built the thing. And so, they wisely, I think, um, chose to go a different route. And the different route was to celebrate those um, those visionaries, those individuals who, like H.G. Wells and Jules Verne, had um, really thought through um, what the future might be. Individuals from Europe who had really pushed the envelope through in their thinking and imagination of what of what the future might be. So that is what this attraction is, or this land, is all about. It is about... Um, the um, celebration of those kinds of ideas and discoveries. And as we go into this land, there's actually um, a marker, a kind of a flower garden to the right, as you enter that is kind of um, uh, a constellation of flags, for lack of a better term, and with a quote on it from Jules Verne, um, exploring the future and so forth. We, when we go through this land, we're actually going... Now, what has happened over time... So, for instance, the first thing we're going to talk about is Buzz Lightyear Laser Blast. In truth, this attraction was um, was originally an attraction that some of you may remember because it was actually uh, built at Walt Disney World. And that meant before there was the uh, Monster Laugh Floor. If you remember the Robin Williams show that um, explored that in, that included the um, the meeting of Jules Verne fictional meeting of Jules Verne and H. B. Wells H. G. Wells to discuss what the future might look like and how uh, Jules Verne is taken into the past and so forth. Uh, it was called Visionarium in in um, Disneyland Paris, and it was originally the, um, uh, it was originally the primary vehicle for really celebrating European visionaries. That emphasis and that need to emphasize, um, that was a 360 film by the way, the need to emphasize all that and, and make that what it is kind of faded away and over time and unfortunately fortunately or unfortunately the land took on other themes futuristic themes as well as those of the past but we're going to talk about them and we're going to divide up the land into two sections it's it's not as, cl- as clear but i'm going to talk about what i would refer to as um as the um um south uh, Discovery Land, and then what I might refer to as the North uh, Discovery Land, as we go through this, the the South being a little bit more, um, uh, South being a little bit more toward the original roots of the land and what it looks like. So, but we begin with Buzz Lightyear, which honestly is a beautiful attraction. It's well done. They have maintained it, up kept it recently. Um, and it looks beautiful at night as well. It is really following a very similar path to the design of Buzz Lightyear's um, attraction in Disneyland. Um, If you remember that attraction took over what was the Circle Vision Theater. Well, this attraction has taken over what was the Circle Vision Theater. So the layout allowed it to follow very much a similar kind of experience. At the end of it, you actually go into a, a shop um, called Constellations, which I think earlier looked a little better. It's now a little bit more Toy Story theme, but you got a lot of plush. You got a lot of toys. This is probably one of the better toy shops, certainly in all of Disneyland Paris, and, uh, and it's a big store. And so it's certainly worthy of of checking out what uh, merchandise you might like to take with you when you're there. But Constellations is connected to the Buzz Lightyear experience. From there, you kind of continue on toward the left and we go into what's called Cafe Hyperion and Videopolis. Now to understand this, This is an extraordinary, this is probably the most elaborate counter service restaurant ever devised. Because as you approach it, you come to this big, big hot air balloon, which balloon is based on a film that Disney did in the 1970s called Island at the Top of the World. Now, if you were to prepare, now assuming you, of course you've probably seen your Star Wars movies or your Buzz Lightyear movies, but if you wanted to prepare for Disneyland Paris, you need to go watch on Disney Plus, um, uh, if you have never seen it before, um, Island on Top of the World, which was a pretty elaborate production of its time. And included in it is this unique European spaceship, which, or I'm not spaceship, I'm sorry, um, unique um, airship or hot air balloon. And it has a very unique design and it sits at the entrance of this counter service restaurant. Um, It is based on an idea that Tony Baxter had done, not uh, almost, at. As as Big Thunder was coming through and and being created in the late 1970s, um, Tony had also had this idea of taking the space behind Big Thunder, which became Big Thunder Ranch, and now is part of the larger um, Galaxy uh, uh, Star Wars um, Galaxy's Edge. But at that time, he had considered this idea of. Taking the Barbary Coast or kind of San Francisco at the at the turn of the century, which Disney did um, a couple of films um, attached to this time period, including the beginning scenes from Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. But at any rate, he had designed this barn. Now, there's an image of this of Discovery Bay on Disney Insights. And you can see this large barn and out of it, this Hyperion balloon. In fact, it's called the Hyperion, which is kind of, again, dating back to the early days of the Walt Disney Studios, which before they had their Burbank Studios, they were all occupying the Hyperion Studios is what it was called at the time. You'll also see adjacent to this image of the balloon, um, a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea Nautilus Sub, that was is that it sits in the water we'll come back to that in a few minutes by the way that land also could um had the original ideas around journey to imagination so there's just there was a lot of initial ideas that never took place at Disneyland but has somehow spilled over to something else in particular here at Disneyland Paris because Tony was really the leader heading up the entire um, Disneyland Paris operations. So so you see there are images of this. You can even see a close-up of the actual cabin that goes with the... Um, and then you go inside the restaurant. There's, a, there's two parts to this. There's a counter service area where you can um, grab what traditionally is something akin to the European versions of hamburgers and french fries. And then you can go adjacent next door to what is the Videopolis Theater. Now, Videopolis, if you're not familiar, that dates back to a concept really early on when Michael Eisner first came to, uh, came on board and wanted to create some new uh, excitement and and things going on at Disneyland. And one of those ideas was to take a, to create a space behind Fantasyland and to create something called Videopolis, which would um, show a bunch of um, MTV-like movies while you'd have a dance floor and lots of lights and so forth. And Videopolis was very popular at Disneyland. The idea was to create that kind of disco-style dance floor kind of space here at Disneyland Paris as well. It didn't survive in that, but the title of the facility has continued to be called Videopolis. In the interim, they have had, they have used it as a theatrical setting for doing um, shows and entertainment. When I first came, ah, gee, that was in, well, I know definitely in the mid 90s, um, or in the mid-2005, they were doing a Lion King-style show. Now there's a Lion King-style show over in the Frontierland Theater on the other side of the park. I think right now there is no real big show there other than kind of like performing arts or events coming on. And and they do show like Disney cartoons while you're sitting there eating. So it's a place to kind of eat and watch at the same time. And it's a big facility. It's, it is their largest... Counter service facility in the park, and it's all steampunk. This is where you get into the real heart of steampunk, and it's just it just comes alive and it's very cool. The look and feel added to that is the Orbitron. Many people are familiar with the Orbitron because it sits at the entrance to Tomorrowland in Disneyland. Now, there have always been spinner rides at Disneyland, Disneyland had had the had a spinner ride in Tomorrowland along with the Dumbo ride in Fantasyland. And it evolved into what was known as the Rocket Jets, which sat on a rocket launch pad above the people mover in the nineteen sixties and it soared very high in the sky. And that was um that was only a ten arm, I believe it was only a ten arm spinner. We talked about um how Dumbo has evolved as a as a multi from ten to sixteen arms over the years, well, they wanted to do for Disneyland Paris a sixteen-arm spinner, um, similar in number to the to the more recent Dumbo versions, and they did this in the style of of these planets that are orbiting around themselves, and it really is a beautiful icon. It there is an aesthetic. I mean, the 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 movement that goes on not only when the ships uh come up and and turn but the um but the planets themselves are kind of revolving around each other it's a very clever design again more of the steampunk feel and it's a very clever design it sits more in at Disneyland Paris than it does at the front which is really there are two frustrations the guests Um, level at the Orbitron at Disneyland first, it just sits there at the entrance to Tomorrowland, like um, come get me. Um, And it's a little, almost like a billboard. It's just too, it's too blatant. And when it really, the rocket jets, you sit in the back. Now they couldn't put 16 arms on, on the, on the one in the back. And, and it ended up becoming this satellite piece of art that would revolve with music at times. Um, it's disappointing, and that's the other aspect that disappoints people. The cool thing about the rocket jets, which is still true about um, uh, the Astro Orbiter at, in Tomorrowland at Magic Kingdom, is that it sits up really high, and, and when the ships go up, it's really a cool view, and it, it's 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 almost more of a thrill ride. It's less of so when you are on the ground, but notwithstanding, its position is much better here in Disneyland Paris and it is part of the total aesthetic. Next door across the way is the Cool Station. Again, um, Coca-Cola products similar to the Cool Station concept in Magic Kingdom. And then adjacent to that is the Octopia. It is their um, little raceway with cars. The cars take a very, um, again, the, the the building itself, the entrance and the queue area and the loading area takes a very steampunk look. The cars take almost a stylized deco look to them. Um, And I have to tell you, of all the attractions I really looked forward to riding when I was there last summer, I want to do this direction. Not that the cars operate any differently. They putter along like they do at the at the Speedway or at the Autopia Disneyland. But there is a whole set of gardens and green space that occupy this. And there are a lot of tracks that weave in and out of themselves. It's a, it's a very unique design. I also have a map of the area and you can see how the, the paths all kind of crisscross around each other. There's actually two maps, one with a, um, a, uh, Uh, board that shows you wait times, but another one that shows you an aerial view of it. And I actually, what you you could do last summer in terms of, you could pay a premium price to get the essence of a Genie Plus experience, but you could also kind of do it a la carte. You could just pay, and I paid about $5 to be able to cut the long line to get into the Autopia and to ride this attraction and it was worth it because i didn't have to wait but i still was able to do it and i highly recommend uh that attraction as well because it's just a very different thing now the last piece in this section of the park um is and and it it's actually connected to the next section of the park but But it is the Nautilus sub. So another piece that came out of Tony Baxter's Discovery Bay was the idea of having a Nautilus, not ride, but walkthrough experience. With the popularity of the attractions and the realization that most of the people were going to come during summer months or warm months of the year to the park, maybe holiday weekends and so forth, but largely... The summer months, those three summer months are huge at Disneyland Paris. And so they wanted to build some attractions to, to have more ability And the Aladdin um, walkthrough, which I, I have described with Adventureland and the one in Frontierland. And of course, the Sleeping Beauty Castle was already there with it, with the dungeon, the dragon. We'll talk more about that in an upcoming podcast. But this one was based on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And the how they get you down in the sub and into this area of the sub is truly Disney magic. It is a very clever thing. I'm not going to say anything more about it. There is a map of the, of the Nautilus and the different compartments that you end up seeing uh, and what it looks like. And then I've also had an image from Disney that I've added. Now, it's actually still under renovation right now it's one of the very last things that have gone through a major renovation in all the parks um, but I could tell you that if it is open it is an absolute must to go on you'll see the um, the organ that uh, um, was was played during that that our organ actually is is originally, Um, Well, the organ was originally built at a sale. I bought from, at a sale for the actual movie. And I think it was about for $50. And then they outfitted the pipes that kind of um, uh, go outward from it. They took that and put that into the original Haunted Mansion. That organ is the one from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And then they modeled this one after that. And so you have the organ, you have the plush red velvet, Um, seating areas which actually was an interesting dialogue Um, at the time they made that film uh, the costumer had created this smoking jacket um, for the captain and the set designer had created this red plush interior and they felt like the two were um, uh, overlapping each other and not and and ruining the film and they couldn't come to an agreement and Walt's kind of stepped in and and said what's the problem and they explained it and he said well let's do a run that shows both the interior along with James Mason wearing um the uh the jacket and let's see how it looks and in after they did a a preview reel of it and they put it up on the screen they realized all of it looked really good, and that's why you have you have both in it. And you see this, and the, the other thing I'm gonna say about uh, this attraction is you get to see you get to see the squid, and the squid is is biting at you, wanting to come right up to the window, and you get to step to the window. It is so cool, you do not want to miss. And again, ultimate ultimate steampunk experience. Um, this was actually built by the, the attraction was the design and, and, and building of the attraction it was done by a man named Tom Sherman, who watched 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea as a kid. And he just, in fact, I've got to put a picture of him up on the, uh, on the site as well. So I will try to do that. Um, he just a really, um, just an individual who at a very young age, Found that uh, his love was Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and he actually took his apartment apartment he was renting, no less. He took an apartment, and he um um he outfitted it completely like the interior of the Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and so when um so he actually somehow applied to Disney and so forth. They realized that he. Had he had this, I'm um, absolute complete knowledge of everything dealing with Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and he was actually brought in to um, build this attraction, and uh, it really is a tribute to his love of Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and uh, if you get a chance, you definitely got to check it out as well. So, um, so that becomes really the first section of, uh, this, uh, this land. Then we kind of go into, um, what I refer to as North Discovery Land. And, um, and by the way, North is not like Disneyland and Walt Disney World where Main Street is a complete line North and South. It's more of a slant with North kind of leaning toward, Discovery Land itself, so that's kind of why I call this the northern section because it's the further section. It's the section further in the back. Um, there is the the crown jewel of Discovery Land is Star Wars Hyperspace Mountain. Now I'd like to just call this Space Mountain because that's how it was designed. It opened. Uh, it opened after the park opened um, in 1995. And it was actually called Space Mountain de la Terra a la Lune. In other words, From the Earth to the Moon. It follows the Jules Verne. Let me read um, the story, the backstory to this. In Jules Verne's novel, Impey Barbicane, President of the Gun Club. Now, let me just talk about the Gun Club for a moment. When you see Space Mountain, you'll not only see this elaborate space punk, or I mean, a steampunk-looking mountain, but you see, resting on it, this large, large gun. I, maybe it's the largest gun ever built, <laughs> theoretically. And on it, it says the Columbiad, Baltimore Gun Club. Go figure. No matter what Disney park it is you're in, you find the word Columbia with the C-O-L-U-M-B-I-A on it. This is the Columbiad, Baltimore Gun Club. And the thinking is there was a gun that shot you off to the earth to the moon in the original Jules Verne story. So, and, and, um, anyway, it says, it says that Impy Bar became president of the gun club along with Michael um, Arden and Captain Nicole is launched towards the moon by the famous Columbiad cannon. They do not reach it because the gravitational pull of an asteroid floating in space deviates them from their trajectory. They do not land on the moon, but they do see its hidden side before returning to earth at frantic speed, narrowly escaping death. The Space Mountain story is set not long after their triumphant return. Impe Barbicane has created the Blue Moon Mining Company to exploit the ore contained in the meteorites that pass near the earth while the gun club now offers everyone the chance to make the same trip as the three space pioneers toward the moon. That was the original backstory to this and everything supports it. So when you get on the vehicles, this train, uh, and, and, and it is a train similar to Um, rock and roller coaster, you're on a train as opposed to individual vehicles like at Space Mountain or or paired vehicles like you are at Space Mountain, at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. You get on this train and you board in this area. It's it's kind of a warehouse looking area. And then you are actually brought up into the cannon. I call it a gun, but I I call it a gun because what happens is the entire exterior of the gun cocks back and then shoots you forward, and this was Disney's first. Um, uh, they invented this this launch uh, technology that allowed you to go from zero to sixty or whatever in nothing flat. It does it while you are resting. It isn't like um, it isn't like um, a rock and roller coaster where you're at the the bottom and then you go. And, it, and the, at that point you go up, you are actually put at an angle and then it cocks back and then you shoot out and then you go through the, through, and, and, and smoke comes out of the cannon and everything. It's so crazy cool. It is a really phenomenal, right? And it has inversions to it. You go upside down and kind of in a, in a, um, uh, a roll as you go through it. I love the attraction for what it is. It's a little crazy. The props and things in it were a little bit more um I don't want to say cartoony, but they were again, they just follow more along the the Jules Verne movie. Now, some of that is all gone because what they have chosen to do is make it into Star Wars Hyper Space Mountain. I don't blame them for that, and I love Star Wars. But I also love the original concoction of this attraction. So it's a little disappointing that it's now Hyper Space Mountain. But what it does do is it links it with what lies beyond it. And I say that what lies beyond it because at Disneyland, Walt Disney World, Space Mountain... um, And same in Tokyo Disney before it went down. By the way, they started work on their new Space Mountain. Um, but when you are, and, and the same in Hong Kong too, on their Space Mountain, which is similar to Disneyland's. Long story short, it's kind of at the edge of the land. Here, Space Mountain actually sits totally in the middle of the land and you go walk around it. It makes for kind of like, if you didn't know what was behind it, you might not walk it. And I think that's the downside of the design of that area. In fact, there's a little, uh, and I show an image of it. There's Wally and Ava, Eve, um, uh, in a little, um, little uh, showcase behind the mountain. I think is another thing to kind of attract people to it. But what lies behind the mountain is Star Tours, and they have a very big Star Tours. Type experience lined up when you go to um, when you go to Disneyland Paris. In fact, it probably has the most impressive, and I want to say they have as many. Um, I think they have six uh, simulator bays similar to Walt uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios. But um, as you get there, you see uh, a starfighter up perched up on on um uh, above the uh the station where you're going into it it looks very similar once you enter and then, of course they have the updated films it's all very cool it's really well done it is a great looking star tours and you exit at the end of it into um star traders there's also a meet and greet in that area star traders is a very there's only really two gift shops Constellations at the very front and Star Traders in the very back. And there's a pretty good supply or uh array of Star Wars themed merchandise that could be found here at Star Traders. It's a it's a big bay and area. Adjacent to adjacent to Star Tours is a theater. And that theater originally held Captain Eel, which you can imagine to to European audiences was quite the curiosity of its time and probably did very well as the whole issues around Captain EO occurred, honey, I shrunk the audience, went into that space and probably did okay in that it sat empty for a lot of years. As I recall, when that kind of went out of faded out of interest, recently in the last couple of years, they put in Mickey's filler magic, which, all of us kind of think of probably think of Fantasyland for Mickey's Fuller Magic. When you really think about it, it's a theater. It's just a the theater um, that, and and going to see an orchestra play and that type of thing. And then it takes you to the mini lands, fantasy lands therein. But, um, but it probably is a good use of the theater right now because I think audiences will enjoy filler magic and they need more things to spread out the crowds. Crowds can't, again, be very, very heavy during the summer months. And something like Mickey's filler magic can really um, take out. Now, in DisneyInsights.com, I have put a Google map of Discoveryland. And not just Discoveryland, but what extends beyond Discoveryland. Because if there's space to grow things out, it is here in Discoveryland. um, um, As a credit, let me put it that way. As a credit to Tony Baxter and the team who created Disneyland Paris, there have been actually very little changes and modifications made to Disneyland Paris. It's that evergreen, it's that good. If there's been any place where changes have been made, it probably has been Discoveryland, especially with all the movies changed out, like I just mentioned, or updating the Star, Star Traders, or more particularly Buzz Lightyear laser blast being put in place of Visionarium. So, or the Timekeeper is known as once was known at Walt Disney World when that 360 movie was, was there before Monsters Incorporated Laugh Floor. So there hasn't been a lot of movement. If Next door is the Walt Disney Studios Paris Park. That park was built at the same time that Disney, about the same time, it opened just a little later, but about the same time as Disney California Adventure and Tokyo Disneyland. Many a comparison have been made between what, what Disney California Adventure looked like at opening compared to what Tokyo Disney Sea looked like. I hope I said Tokyo Disney Sea and not Tokyo Disneyland. Tokyo Disney Sea, which opened around the 2000 beginning of the new millennium, and um, rightly so, the detail in Tokyo Disney Sea far extends beyond what you see at Disney California Adventure. However, let me just share with you that as Bad as Disney California Adventure was, Walt Disney Studios Paris looked even worse at the time. Um, who was it that um, went out there? I he, um, uh, The new head of Imagineering who's come back, um, Bruce Vaughn. Bruce Vaughn has... Um, Return And he shares the story of having gone out to Walt Disney Studios' Park, walking around saying, when are we actually going to be in the park? And they said, you're in the park. This is it. And all he saw was unpainted gray studios, uh, soundstage studios at Walt Disney Studios Park. It was the problem with that park was Disney was told you either need to build a, a new park here or you're going to end up having to give the land to something else. And so Disney had to go build something to keep it open. And it was the smallest park ever built. It had some components, but it was very, very small. So when Disney finally, a couple of years ago, took over complete control of of Disneyland Paris Resort, including the Walt Disney, they immediately went to the reality, hey, we have got to really build out this park. The first major phase of that is the whole reconstruction of one side of it to becoming Avengers Campus, which has been largely positively received in that area. They are now extending an area beyond that, and clearly what is being built is a frozen land similar to what is going into Hong Kong Disneyland. They also conjectured a couple of other lands being built out there, one at one point being a Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. However, that's been removed and taken off the map. A lot of people immediately said, oh, it's because it's not a very impressive um, land and so forth and they're not wanting to repeat all that, spend all that money to repeat that. Maybe, maybe not. What happened about two months ago is somebody very cleverly managed to capture an image of a a photo of a cast member walking around with an iPad. And on the iPad showed an image, an aerial view of Discoveryland, but not just Discoveryland. It showed moving back beyond Star Traders or um, Star Tours and Hyperspace Mountain and all those kinds of things in the area that I show you on the map on Disney Insights, they show what looks like in Galaxy's Edge area. And it is conceivable that there is enough space back there that they could indeed create something, a smaller or a full or something different, but a Star Wars style land in that area of the park. Again, that's rumored. There's nothing official. I have no insight other than this Twitter that went out, this tweet that went out uh, showcasing that. It definitely suggests that if there's a place for some real additional stuff, it could be at Discoveryland. I should also say there's great space over back by the Indiana Jones Coaster for more Indiana Jones stuff. And I would like to see the success of the Indiana Jones film this season to be so good people that that Imagineers want to go back to doing more Indiana Jones themed attractions. That would not be a bad idea as well. But again, that's a that's that's just a wish <clears throat> because we got to see how well the film does and even then it doesn't necessarily guarantee anything. But notwithstanding, I think you get a sense of Discovery Discoveryland. Um, it is probably not my favorite Tomorrowland of all Tomorrowlands, but it is the most unique Tomorrowland and is so worthy of studying. It is, it is worthy of a trip to Disneyland Paris in and of itself to see its steampunk architecture, to explore amazing attractions like Space Mountain, and to see things like the 20,000 League um, Nautilus Sub. Definitely worth checking out when you are at Disneyland Paris. Well, that does it for this Disney Insights podcast. We've got a couple more Disneyland Paris um, podcasts to go and um, to cover and finish out the entire park. And in the meantime, make sure you check out our Wayfinder Society which explores all things Disney and gives you a chance to um, experience Disney magic in our interactive tools and experiences. Also, um, make sure if you haven't had an opportunity, would you just go over and give, uh, go to your um, provider, podcast provider, a a positive rating if possible, or even a great review. That really helps us as we move forward in the uh, Littlest Podcast that could there's so much we need to go back to current events over at disney gotten a little slow with uh with the summer months but uh there's still more to talk about so so make sure you subscribe because we got more to come next week and in the days to follow again thanks for being with us and joining us and in the words of sinbad storybook voyage always follow the compass of your heart have a great day we'll see you real soon